Good morning and happy Sabbath, everyone. Can you hear me all right in the back? Okay. Well, it's great to see so many of you here today. great to see so many of you here today. I remember the time when we started Advent Hope four years ago that we had 20 or 30 people coming. And now we have close to 200 people here every Sabbath. And that makes me very happy to see young people and people of all ages coming to hear messages and to study the Bible that will prepare us to be ready for Jesus to come. And This week is a special week. Our fourth restoration series is starting, and I can hardly believe that. I can hardly believe that we have come to our fourth evangelistic series on this campus. I remember when we had our first series back in 2003 with Peter Gregory, and it's been a wonderful experience every year. And to be honest with you, that first year, I didn't think we would have a fourth restoration. I thought Jesus was coming so soon. And I still believe that Jesus is coming very soon. As I recall what happened back around the time that Advent Hope started, Restoration started, very definitely the events of September 11 really woke many of us up. And it was shortly after that time that we started planning to start Advent Hope Sabbath School. It was a year later that we had our first restoration, our first general youth conference up at Pine Springs Ranch. Clearly, something is definitely happening among God's young people. And the people that we see here today, you, are evidence that God is moving in the hearts and minds of his young people and in people of all ages. Because four years ago, this group didn't exist. Those of you who are new to this area, you don't realize what it was like in this area five years ago. And you don't realize the blessing it is to be able to come every Sabbath and hear messages that will turn your heart to Jesus and help you to set your minds on the things of heaven in preparation for eternity. The greatest evidence to me that Jesus is coming soon is the revival taking place among God's young people. And as Advent Hope is growing, as restoration is growing, as we see God moving His people to a climax point, let us never get complacent. Let us never get satisfied where we are. There's always a higher plane to grow to. And, you know, I think of the quote that Ellen White says in Life Sketches, page 196, where she says, We have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and His teaching in our past history. And so many times we say, The Lord has led our church. God is leading. But at the same time, we decidedly forget God's teaching. You have to remember the way God has led 
and at the same time remember the teachings of God. And brothers and sisters, the, me- the message of the Advent movement is built solidly on the teachings of God in the Bible. And if we remember God's teachings, we have nothing to fear for the future. And I truly believe we are living in the very last moments of Earth's history. And if that's the case, we need to know how to live our lives. And today, what I want to do is to look at the finest example of someone who knew how to live his life based on the time in which he was living in. And that example is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And we are going to study John chapter 17 today. Many of you are familiar with this chapter, and I pray that you will be challenged and that you will see new things about this chapter that you have never seen before. John chapter 17, and in Testimonies, volume 8, page 239, Ellen White says, The instruction given me by one of authority is that we are to learn to answer the prayer recorded in the 17th chapter of John. We are to make this prayer our first study. Every gospel minister, every medical missionary is to learn the science of this prayer. And I always appreciate how the writings of Ellen White point us back to the Bible. They point us back to Jesus. And so today, we are going to uplift the life of Jesus in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Father, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Now let me ask you a question. When did Jesus give this prayer of John 17? When was this? This was the night before he died on the cross. And so... Jesus knows what time it is. He says, the hour is come. Well, how did Jesus know that he was going to die the next day? How did he know that the hour is come? Do we have other examples in the Gospels where Jesus knew what time it was? And yes, we do. If you look at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus says as he starts the three and a half years of his ministry, the time is fulfilled. Now how did Jesus know that? Scholars will point you back to the prophecies, uh, uh, the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And Jesus knew that the end of the 69 weeks had been fulfilled until the Messiah, the Prince. Now it's time for him to start his ministry. So as he starts his ministry, he reminds the people of the Jewish nation the time is fulfilled. The 69 weeks are over. So Jesus knew the prophecy of Daniel about his ministry. And so when you come to John chapter 17, 
verse 1, Jesus says, the hour is come. Now, we know the next day was Passover Friday, and that was the day that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain. Now, how did Jesus know that that was exactly the time that he would die? Because it was exactly three and a half years after the beginning of his ministry, based on the time prophecy, again, of Daniel chapter 9, that in the midst of the week, Messiah would be cut off. So what does that teach us about Jesus? Jesus knew how to live his life, and he lived his life accordingly based on Bible prophecy. And brothers and sisters, we have Bible prophecy that points us to the time we are living in as well. Therefore, we need to be students of Bible prophecy. If you haven't studied the the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation and learned how to apply them to your life, this is the time to learn that because those prophecies will point you exactly to where we are in earth's history. So Jesus knew how to live his life based on Bible prophecy, and he gives us an example. Now notice some other interesting points from this verse. He says, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. How did Jesus glorify the Father? Let's turn back to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24. Here we see very similar language. John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Just like John chapter 17. Notice verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall unto the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. What's Jesus talking about here? Jesus is talking about his death. And Jesus is saying that he will glorify the Father by dying, and by so doing, much fruit will be brought to the kingdom of God. So therefore, we learn something more about Jesus in this prayer of John 17. He he knows that his hour is come to be crucified, and he knows that by so doing, he will bring glory to the Father. And do you think it's possible that there's a lesson for us in that? Turn to Galatians 2.20. We know the verse. You could say it by memory probably. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now notice there's something very interesting in this verse. Jesus was crucified on the cross. And if you remember Jesus on the cross, he relied on faith to get him through the experience of the cross because he couldn't see past that experience. When we are crucified with Christ, we have to live by faith because When we're crucified, our natural human nature dies. And so we don't know 
what's going to happen next, but we see how we are to live. We are to live by faith, but notice what kind of faith. It says we live by the faith of the Son of God or the faith of Jesus. So there's some very interesting points here. Jesus knew the hour in which he was living in. He knew it was time for him to give glory to the Father by dying on the cross, and he demonstrated that by living by faith on the cross, even though he couldn't see the end from the beginning, by faith he believed the Father would raise him up. So what we have here is Jesus knowing the time, dying to self, giving glory to the Father, and it demonstrating the faith of Jesus. And that is our example. Now, brothers and sisters, is there a message in that for us today? Revelation 14, 7. Fear God, give glory to him. Jesus gave glory to, to the Father, for the hour of his judgment is come. There's another time prophecy. Giving glory to God, the hour of his judgment is come. And then at the end of the three angels' message, the God's righteous people are described as having the faith of Jesus. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Therefore, as I've studied this chapter, this prayer of Jesus not only had substance and significance for the night before Jesus died, there's a message in this prayer for us today. There's a message of knowing what time we are living in based on Bible prophecy. There's a message of dying to self, giving glory to God. There's a message of living by the faith of Jesus. And that is all in verse 1 of John 17. Now notice verse 2. Jesus says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Do you believe that Jesus has been given power over your flesh? You know, so many times we feel weak. We don't really believe that Jesus can help with our problem. We keep gossiping. We keep looking for ways to get around the truth. We keep doing things that we know are wrong because in our heart of hearts, we're doubting the power of God. But Jesus says clearly here in verse 2, you have given me power over all flesh. And Romans 8, 3, and 4 makes it crystal clear. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Now why? Why, why did that happen? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus has power over your flesh so that his righteous character can be fulfilled in your life. And in this prayer of John 17, Jesus is reminding the Father that his life gives you power over your weakful, human, sinful flesh. And that is encouraging to me. Sometimes it's almost easy to to feel like, well, is it really possible to overcome every sin? Brothers and sisters, why would you want to keep sin in your life? Sin is discouraging. Sin is frustrating. 
sin weighs you down. And when you have freedom from those burdens, you can walk in newness of life in a way that is so refreshing, that is so life-changing. You don't have to be tied down to the burden of the weight of sin that's always with you. And so Jesus is reminding us here, I want to help you with the struggles, with the weakness of your flesh. And I'm thankful that Jesus does that for us. And notice verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus finished his work here on this earth. And brothers and sisters, this is the time for us to finish the work that God has given us to do here on this earth. Our work is very clear. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all nations for a witness, and then the end shall come. That is our work. We haven't finished it yet. And that's why we have restoration. That's why we do this every year. Because we have a message, an everlasting gospel of a crucified and risen Savior who will forgive us of our sins and empower us to live lives of holiness and godliness. Jesus finished the work that God gave him to do and he is asking us to finish the work today that has been given us to do. Now, the thing that amazes me about the prayer of Jesus is that he's praying this prayer the night before he died. Now, humanly speaking, if I knew that I was going to die the next day, if I was praying to God, I would be praying about making sure that all my sins are confessed. I would be praying, Lord, please forgive me. Help me to be ready for your soon coming. Help me to be there. I'm sorry. And you know, help my life to be an example. But I would be thinking all about me, naturally speaking, the night before I die, if I knew I was going to die tomorrow. But Jesus gives us a different example. And I want to read verses 6 through 10, just some selected passages from this prayer. Jesus here is praying the night before he died. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Notice where the focus of Jesus turns to. It turns to his believers his disciples. He's concerned about his disciples, his believers, and what will happen to them after he dies. And so Jesus is as concerned or more concerned for his faithful disciples, even more so at this point in time than what he is going to experience on the cross. And that just always amazes me about the love of Christ that the night before he died, he was praying for his disciples. Now, as I said before, this prayer has application not only for the time that he gave it, but for the time 
that we live in now. And I, know, I just want to point briefly to verse 12. And Jesus is praying here. And he says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now who is Jesus referring to there? That he's referring to Judas. But is there another place in the Bible that we hear about the son of perdition? Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses three and four. We, Paul reminds us here, he says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. We know that that's referring to the Antichrist power and the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. So you can make an application to the prayer of Jesus in John 17, not only to the night before he died, but also down at the end of time. And we will see this as we continue on with this prayer. And then I wanted to to show you also in verse 20 that this prayer wasn't just for his disciples. Notice verse 20. Jesus says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. Brothers and sisters, that's you and me. Jesus cared so much for those who would follow him that he took time to pray for you the night before he died. And whenever I think of that, that always motivates me to love Jesus more. If Jesus could love me that much when he knew he would go through the most awful experience that could ever be imagined, and yet he loved you and me so much that he could pray for you the night before you died. Don't you think you can love him? Don't you think you can follow him? Don't you think you can give your heart to Jesus? That is the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. And the last part of this prayer always gets me very excited as I see what Jesus is praying for. And I hope that as you see the application of this prayer to your life today, it will give you a new perspective on how to live your life in the year 2006. Notice in verses 17 through 19 what Jesus is praying for. Jesus says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus loved you so much that he went through a life of suffering and of obedience, of sanctification, in order that we might have that experience as well. Jesus prayed that each one of us here would have the experience of sanctification, of living a life of holiness to God, of following Jesus surrendering our heart to him. And notice how he says we will be sanctified. Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth. And we know Jesus says in the same book, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, 
in the life. Therefore, we are sanctified through Jesus. Jesus is the one who sanctifies us and who makes us holy and pure. And I'm thankful for the power that Jesus has in our lives. Now, notice what impact sanctification has on God's people. Sanctification is not for us to say, I'm better than you, look what I do, look what you don't do. That's not what sanctification is about. Look what sanctification is about in verses 21 through 23. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Notice the effect of sanctification in the lives of God's people. What happens is, as we have the experience of sanctification, Jesus comes into our heart. Now, the Father is in Jesus, as Jesus says here in this prayer. So the Father is in Jesus, Jesus comes into our hearts, and as all of God's people have this experience, what happens? Unity. Unity among God's people. And if you ever wonder why there's so much disunity, so much discord, so much fighting among Christian people today, it's because they don't have the experience of Christ dwelling in their heart. They claim his name, but they leave him outside. And then they fight. They fight over how the church is going to be run. They fight over the color of the carpet, the order of the service. They fight about anything imaginable. Some of the stories I've heard about church board meetings are, it's almost laughable, but it's not, because these are people who profess God's name. These people have not had the experience of John 17. And this is what Jesus was praying for the night before he died. He was praying for sanctification and unity among God's people. Now, notice verse 24. Jesus says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Now, contextually speaking, if you look at that prayer, when can Jesus fulfill that prayer of us being with him and the Father? Logically speaking, based on verses 21 through 23, it's when God's people are unified. It's when God's people are one with Christ and one with each other. Then Jesus can say, Father, they're unified. Let's bring them home. And there is a special application for that message of unity, of sanctification, of Christ dwelling in our hearts to us today. And some of you may have seen this before, some of you may have not. But if you look at Revelation chapter 10, Revelation chapter 10, Jesus is a mighty angel clothed with a cloud coming down from heaven. And if you've studied this chapter, you know that this 
is symbolic language of Jesus the way he was when he led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Jesus is here to start a new movement. Jesus is here to start a new movement. And if you study Revelation chapter 10, you know that Revelation chapter 10 describes the rise of the Advent movement into the world scene around the time of 1840. And we don't have time to go into all of that now. But what was the purpose of the Advent movement? Verse 10, it says, but in verse 7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And we know in Colossians 1.27, the mystery of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Does that remind you of anything? The prayer of John 17, where Jesus prays, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. You know what that means? The same Jesus who prayed the prayer before the night before he died in John 17 came down from heaven in the time period around 1844 to start a movement that would fulfill his prayer in John chapter 17. The prayer of Christ dwelling in us. The mystery of God. Christ's character revealed in our lives. And every time I think about that, that gets me motivated. We have a special message, a special mission to give to this world. We're not here just to preach a bunch of standards. We're here to present the character of Jesus, His love, His mercy, His transforming power so that we can live just like Jesus did. That is our everlasting gospel. That is the purpose and the reason why we came into existence. And from time to time, faithful witnesses, faithful messengers in this Advent movement have given this message with power and with clarity. And around the time period of 1888, there were two preachers one was E.J. Wagner, one was A.T. Jones, and these men caught a glimpse of what that message was from the prayer of John 17. And I'm just going to read you a few excerpts, and these are all sermons that they gave at the General Conference session between 1891 and 1901. In all our Christian experience, we have left little loopholes along here and there for sin. We have never dared to come to that place where we would believe that the Christian life should be a sinless life. We have not dared to believe it or preach it, but in that case we cannot preach the law of God fully. Why not? Because we do not understand the power of justification by faith. Christ is to be in us, just as God was in him. And his character is to be in us, just as God was in him. It is the cooperation of the divine and the human, the mystery of God in you and me. That is the third angel's message. In Jesus Christ, as he was in sinful flesh, God has demonstrated before the universe that he can so take possession of sinful flesh as to manifest his own presence, his power, and his glory instead of sin manifesting itself. Then God will so take us and so use us that our sinful selves shall not appear to influence or affect anybody, but God will manifest his righteous self, his glory before men, 
in spite of all ourselves and our sinfulness. And that is the mystery of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God manifest in sinful flesh. Two more. Perfection. Perfection of character is the Christian goal. Perfection attained in human flesh in this world. Christ attained it in human flesh in this world and thus made and consecrated a way by which in him every believer can attain it. But before probation ends, there will be a people so complete in him that in spite of their sinful flesh, they will live sinless lives. They will live sinless lives in mortal flesh because he who has demonstrated that he has power over all flesh lives in them, lives a sinless life in sinful flesh. That is the experience that Jesus was praying for his believers the night before he died. And Ellen White said this message received in its fullness will lighten the earth with its glory. You know, sometimes I wonder, did Jesus stop praying that prayer after he went to heaven? Or is he still praying for his people today? Is he still praying for you today? And I, I want to just tell one personal story. And you know, many of you know that I've been in a wonderful relationship the last roughly 11 months. The only bad thing about it is that she's in Michigan and I'm here. And I mean, I can't complain other than that I wish that we could be together more and she feels the same way. And we miss each other so much. We miss each other all the time. Sometimes to the point, um, and I hope she doesn't get mad at me for saying this, um, sometimes she'll even cry at the end of our conversations. And one thing that it's really taught us is that if we miss each other that much, don't you think Jesus misses us? We know that Christ Object Lessons, page 69, it says Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of his character and his people. Jesus misses us. And you know how I know that Jesus is still praying that prayer? Hebrews 7.25 says, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's still praying for you today. He's still interceding for you today. He knows your weaknesses. He knows where you struggle. But he says, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. He wants you to give your life completely to him so that he can be in your heart completely. That's why Jesus says to the, to the Laodicean church in Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. Let me come in. That's the message that will empower God's people to give the three angels' message with power to the whole earth. Revelation 18.1, the mighty angel that comes down from heaven enlightens the earth with its glory. That's the message of God's people proclaiming with a loud cry, a message that will change this world and prepare people for translation. And so... The question today is, we know that Jesus misses us, but the question I have for you today is, do you miss Jesus? Do you want to be with him? 
What are your goals? Where is your heart? Where is your affection? Are you praying for unity with Christ? Are you praying that you will be one with the Father? Do you miss Jesus? He misses you. He wants to be with you. And I pray that all of us will have this experience. And we're going to have a closing song now. Um, Hymn number, is it 289? And I invite all of you to turn there. Hymn number 289. The Savior is waiting. Some of you have not let him come into your heart. And I pray today would be the day that you would let Jesus come into your heart. If you've never made that decision, today is the day. The hour has come. Jesus is waiting. Let's be serious. Let's all stand and sing. Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him? Time after time he has waited we sing the second verse, there may be some of you here today who have never let Jesus into your heart. And you want today to decidedly say, I want Jesus in my heart. I want to be unified with Christ. This isn't an appeal for everyone, but I know there's someone here today who hasn't let Jesus come in. You have the name of Christ, but you aren't living that experience and you want it today. Now is your time to make that decision. I invite you to come forward in this last verse as we sing um, the second verse. And I love the first part of that verse. It says, if you'll take one step toward the Savior today, he'll have his arms open wide. His arms are open wide now, waiting to receive you. I invite you to come down as we sing this second verse. The Savior is waiting for you. Take one step toward the Savior, my friend. He'll find his arms open wide. Receive him, and all of your darkness will end. With him, your heart will abide. Time after time. Thank you.
And I'm going to come down here to the front. If there's anyone else who wants to join our sister up here in this call, I invite you to come now and we'll close with prayer. Anyone else, you're welcome at this time. Let's go ahead and close with prayer. Father in heaven, today you have called us to lives of holiness, to lives of unity, and to a life that will give this message with power. Lord, I thank you that you have called this group into existence, that you are raising up people today to finish your work. And I pray that very soon we will be able to say, we have finished the work that you have given us to do by your power, by your grace. I pray that restoration will be a time where you work with power, with might, with glory. And I thank you for the decision that was made today and the decisions that may have been made out in the audience to give our lives and our hearts completely to Christ so that he will shine forth through us. Help us to be faithful and may Jesus come soon. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.